Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today I'm very excited to have on the other line of Skype, we've got Authentic Mike C. He is the tracksuit speaker. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Greetings. 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 Thank you. Thanks for uh, joining us on this rainy Saturday uh, morning. Um, give, give us a little bit of uh, context. Context. What are you passionate about in, in your work at the moment and in your life? I am passionate about inspiring people. Uh, I feel that inspiring and being inspired is one of the things, is one of the essential ingredients in life that keep that keeps pushing you forward. Absolutely. It's all about feeling empowered. It's all about feeling empowered. It's all about feeling uprised. It's all about feeling positive. Completely. Who, so, who inspires you? I have lots of different people that inspire me. I get inspired on a daily basis. It starts from work. It starts from home, as a matter of fact, in the morning when I see my parents, when I see my siblings going to school down to when I get to work because I'm a, I'm currently a PE teacher at a primary school. Okay. So there's been so much times when I'm teaching students or when you're having a certain conversation with students, you're like, wow, okay, I can take what you just said because what you just said has really warmed my heart or what I've said to you, you've taken on and used your initiative. So it's really just about inspiring people and being inspired at the same time. That exchange, that transition, transaction, sorry. It's really essential that gets me through today. So it's all about just learning something new. And I know you've you've spoken at a few sort of sort of high schools and stuff. What sort of things do you speak about? My first school was last year March, and I was I spoke at a pupil referral oh, yeah. unit. Oh right, a, br- a brief fifteen minute assembly, and I was just talking about my experience because a lot of people don't know that I once myself attended um, people referral unit Did for you? two years. Yeah. So I've always I've always had that insight. I've, when I went to a, when I attended, sorry, a people and, and tell unit. people what that is because not everyone's going to understand what a people referral. Yes, unit. of course. A people a people referral unit is a centre where you have been kicked out of mainstream secondary school. Yeah, and you've been sent to like a behavioural educational centre for the remaining of your educational time in school. Yeah, and this brings me right back to the early days of my career because um, uh, youth work and people referral units is where I cut my teeth in the you know inspiring people industry. Okay, okay. Um, so, so give us a little bit of uh, context because I'm curious about this, this story that you're now using to inspire other people. Um, take, I mean, you're, you're pretty young, but take us back to the context of, of sort of growing up. What was that like? I mean, do you think uh, maybe your parents or the education system, uh, obviously not, but prepared you in some way or another for who you are today, for the, for the adult world, I guess? Well, I was told... At the age of 14, when I got kicked out of school, my, my father told me, listen, accept your faults and accept the fact that you have done wrong in certain areas. But you also have to know on the positive side that school is not made for everyone. And there's loads of millionaires and there's loads of successful entrepreneurs, etc., etc., that have done well, that didn't even finish school. 
or dropped out midway through school. So don't let that demoralize you. Because whilst I was going through um, adolescent stage, especially during year nine and year 10, so I was about the age of 13, 14, 15, at that point in my life, I was trying to make um, decisions within myself. I, I call it grown decisions. And I was, I was very young. So me using my initiative and me thinking that I'm older than I am put me in a certain position in life, which made me eventually drop out of school, leave school and get sent to a, a referral unit, a people referral unit. So what, so when I, what happened? I'm, I'm curious because they, they, you know, they, they kick you out for, for reasons and, and obviously it wasn't quite suiting you, but w- w- your behavior was acting out? What was going on? Well, yeah, really and truly it was my behavior. My behavior started to decline, I would say, in year nine. And, it's, and it started to decline at a massive scale. And it really just came down to my personal life away from school. Because I, I arrived in this country. I, I was born in this country, but I moved to um, Buckinghamshire at the age of four, up until the age of seven. And then from seven to 11, I lived in Germany because my father was um, an army. He was in the army. He was a soldier. Okay. So I never experienced the, the London life, shall I say, especially where, especially the environment that I currently live in. Yeah. And I've been living in the same um, area, the same borough since I arrived back in England, which was, which is now been 10 years ago. Now been 10 years. So, in the beginning, it was a very difficult transition. And we went from living in a more prestigious country with a better surroundings, better environment. You know, the, the atmosphere of the people, they were much more genuine, et cetera, et cetera. And most importantly, my parents, financially, they were very nice and cool. Yeah, yeah. It was more comfortable out there. Much, much more accommodating out there. And then when we came to England, due to the fact that my dad had an injury, so he could no longer participate and be a soldier, we then had to move, come back to London, and we moved into my grandparents' house. At that point, it's me, my three other siblings, my two parents, and my my two grandparents in a two-bedroom flat. flat. Under one roof, my goodness. Yeah. Under Under one one roof, roof. in a two-bedroom flat. And we went from having, we went from being in a six-bedroom house in Germany to then living in a two-bedroom flat where me and my three siblings have to share a double bed every night from Monday to Friday. Um, um, two at the head and two at the toe. Yeah. And on the and on the weekends, my parents would take the bed and we would sleep in the, the living room on a, on a blow-up bed or on the sofa. So at that point, I found it really challenging because my whole life has just been nice, easy, go to school, yeah. go to club, really comfortable. Yeah, that's the perfect word to use, really comfortable. And then I came to, um, and then came back to England. I'm 11 years old and all of a sudden I've woken up and my life has completely flipped 360. And there was, there was no dialogue at that time. My parents are going through whatever they're going through. So no one ever sat me down and said, hey, Mike, this has happened. This is the reason why that's happened. But hey, it's going to get better. It was always just brushed underneath the carpet. Okay. And, and, and your parents are probably just in survival mode, just like, how do we figure this out? Absolutely. And, don't, absolutely. Yeah. and you're just have absolutely. to go for the ride. Absolutely. absolutely. Looking back at it now, a, more, a different perspective and a more mature perspective, I, I'm much more understanding. Sure, but, but at eleven, but you're comp- that's the age absolutely. when you start comparing to absolutely. other people, right? Absolutely, at eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and, and throughout that whole adolescent stage, yeah, I was feeling very bitter because I'm I'm now going to a different school. I'm now meeting different people. I'm now seeing that my life is not the way it was before, and that may sound selfish, but I just didn't understand at that age that life can take a turn. That life that you will that you will 
come across a hurdle and you will fall down, but you have to get back up. Yeah. But that just came down to the, that came down to the lack of communication, which I figured out later in life. Okay. So, so, but then you're, you're, you're in it, your, your parents are in survival mode, you're in tight quarters. You now have to integrate into a London school and just figure out how to learn here uh, and things start going downhill. And things start going downhill. I, I found that I was trying always to please my parents and to gauge a much healthier relationship because whilst they were going through survival survival mode and dealing with their own stuff, my relationship with my parents wasn't as strong as when it was when I was younger. The conversations, the, the, the time that we had apart from being with the rest of the family, going out and doing certain stuff, things just changed. And I, and I turned really bitter. And me turning bitter... That, mo- that mood and that, that energy I took with me into school. And then if I was disengaged at home, then I was definitely disengaged in school. So I was always trying to prove a point. I was just trying to be someone else. I was just trying to figure out what I actually really wanted to do and who I really was because at that time in my life, didn't want to go to school. I want to be at home, but I'm not happy at home. So where do I go? What do I do? And who would I talk to? That was something that I, I didn't figure out. So not having any place where you felt that you, you fit. Yeah, not having any place that I really felt comfortable with. Did Did your parents have expectations of you, like what, what, before this, even when it was comfortable, like get this kind of job or do this, go to uni or do this kind of thing, or was it more like, you know, just do what what you feel is right? Well, I come from a background which is not not exactly um, educational driven. My my dad never finished school. My granddad never finished school. My mum finished school, but my mum finished school with average grades, C and C's and D's. So education was never on the front line. It was always, yes, you have to go to school. Yes, you have to go to college. But we want you to succeed. But that was never the message in the back of my ear. And when, I've, when I compare my life and I look at somebody else's, for example, when I look at my friends, or when I look at um, students who I've teach, because I was once working at a boarding school in 2016. And I was working with under 16 and under 17 boys and girls, mixed group. Of, of football students and when you hear their conversations about their homework and about how their parents are pushing them and so forth and how education is number one there's nothing else that is as important as that I look I look back at the time and I still look back to this day and it's like everyone has a different background everyone has everyone has different engines everyone has different systems which they fit for themselves and my engine wasn't education so at that point I had to find out okay this is not for me then what is for me? And then at some point, you uh, around 14, you get sent to a pupil referral unit. So at the age of 14, yes, I get called into my headmaster's office. He brings out a folder which has 70 incident sheets. So I've committed 70, 70 incidents from year 7 to year 10. And the long story short, Mike, um, you've committed too many incidents. You've been on your last warning for way too long, so you won't be coming back. Was it a shot? And I... It, was a, it wasn't a shock for me. It wasn't a shock for my parents because we knew it was coming. But at that, at that moment in time, when I saw the disappointment in my, my mother's face, that's when my heart crumbled. Because all the time I felt like she's been, she's been ignoring me and I'm acting up because of the fact that I don't feel like there's any support. And then when I see the tears and I see the emotions in her face and, and her body, it's like maybe I was reading it wrong this whole time. Maybe I should be trying to understand you and and what you're going through, rather than just thinking about myself all that time. Which is hard when you're that age. Which is very hard, which is very hard at the age of 14, 15, of course. 
But it just takes you back to when I was living in Germany, when I was living in Buckinghamshire. Yes, I was a child, of course, but I always had a close relationship with my parents. We always had conversations. Of course, it wasn't as it depended on the age of the of of myself, which which also depended on the maturity of the conversation. But I always felt that me and my parents had a great understanding. So it's just really interesting how our environment and the stresses that our parents are under can really impact, you know, our, our own well-being, our feeling of support and, and being able to maybe have that backup or resilience to deal with the, like big transitions. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was the, the pre like? Wow, that was. I say that, but having been in a few. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lots of people have been. Lots of people have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah, describe so, it. <laughs> For, for me, it was a real eye-opener because all the incidents that took place in school, all my be- my behavior, et cetera, et cetera, I always said to myself, hey, okay, Prue can't be that bad because there's a lot of students that have been sent out and kicked out for similar reasons to myself. Yeah, or worse. And then when I, or worse, yes. But I didn't know how worse until I stepped in. And then once I, once I um, started the school, and I realized what's going on, just the whole atmosphere was different. You went from being with a thousand students, for example, to then 20 students yeah. in a center. And you go from, you know, knowing that school starts at 8.30 and you're there in the playground by 8.15 to then knowing that school starts at nine o'clock, but no one turns up to like 9.30. At least. And there's no, <laughs> yeah, at least. Yeah. And there's no real authority or punishment if you are late. So it was really... The transition was really went from being in a strict environment in school to then being in a more relaxed, cool environment in a pupil referral unit. And I found that really, really odd, really odd, because I thought if anything, it would be more of be a reverse. Yeah. Because I felt like for myself, high school, yeah, it was strict. You know, there were boundaries, but I felt like for me, it was really chilled. Yeah. But then I realized that when I went to, when I've gone to a pupil referral center, hey, school was not chilled this is a different level of relaxation. This, you go to a people referral unit and you have to literally fend and look after yourself. Yeah. When you go to a high school, you have the teachers on your back. Yeah. And, and you feel like they're pressurizing you and you feel like you can't do no more and you feel like, yeah, at the age of 14, yeah, these teachers are annoying. What do they know? And you get sent to a pure and you go from being in an English class with 30 students and a teacher that's banging on teaching you the lesson to then turning into, going into your pure English session where there's six or seven students and your teacher is disengaged yeah. sometimes he's on his laptop doing his own thing and other times he's drinking his coffee not paying any mind to how the lesson's going, going. yeah and, and if, if there's a, if, sorry, sorry go on. I was just going to say and, and uh, there can be you know kids start to learn that if you act out enough you get left alone or yeah. you don't have to learn or you know and I mean it's just a shocking not every one of them because I've been to a few there's one in Wandsworth that's pretty uh, fucking amazing um, okay but, but I've been to quite a few across uh, Bromley, Croydon, South London um, that uh, are exactly as you described, just a, a certain yeah. level of, of chaos. And disengaged teachers, which that was the saddest thing in the world for me to see. Yeah. They've been worn down. Like I, there were some teachers that had been there for, for years and years and years and had just been worn down by the system and by maybe yeah. the, the onslaught of kids. And I mean, th- it broke my heart because that's when kids need teachers the most that really believe in them. Yeah, absolutely. I would a thousand percent agree because whilst I was there for, I think I was there for about 16 months, whilst I was there, you had a lot of TAs that were pushing 
and supporting, but at the same time, you could see that they've been there and they're they're drained yeah. because they're not they're, they're not receiving anything back from the students themselves. They also need extra support from their superiors, yeah. from the board of directors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There was not enough support, and I still I still felt like just like you feel within certain crews. There isn't enough support that's going on. And the support starts from the head of the tree to the bottom of the tree. It's from the top to the bottom. Yeah, well, if you don't have supported so, teachers, that just like when your parents were very stressed, they weren't able to give you the support. If your teachers are so stressed and, and, and stretched thin, um, you know, they're not coming from a full place. And, and then and kids feel that. And they're like, well, I don't matter because nobody's engaging with me properly. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that transition was very difficult for me because my... High school, a lot of the, the high school that I attended, the, the area around it was surrounded by a few, let's say, gangs. But the Prue had a lot of gang members. So I was never really exposed to the, let's just say, we, what we call it in where, based where I come from is the road life. Okay, so I was never really exper- exposed to the road life. I knew what happened outside, but I was never the kind of child that put myself in that ever that kind of predicament. And now it's probably all around you. Where Whereas I've now attended Prue, and for the next 16 months, I can't avoid it. Every day, or near, near enough every other day, there's an argument, there's a fight, someone's getting expelled, someone's getting excluded, and you have to find a corner for yourself because yeah. Mike has stepped into this new world and he realizes that, hey, you've done bad in school, but this is completely different to where you came from. Yeah. And what do you do at this point? How do you go about it at this point? What did you do? Well, at that point, I was... My, my parents started to realise that, hey, yes, we knew that Michael was giving trouble. We knew what was going on. But now he's really started to decline. Now they have to step up. Yeah. But whilst we're still going through that stage and that, you know, the hostility within the household, me and my mother wasn't at the point where the love and harmony was in the house and I ended up getting kicked out. Kicked out of your house? Got kicked, kicked out of my house, yeah. Just due to arguments and whatnot, ended up getting kicked so out. Well, if you're bringing what, some of that Prue energy back home and the frustration that you're even there to your parents and your siblings, I can see how that would escalate. Absolutely, absolutely. At that point in my life, I would definitely say I was very ignorant, very ignorant. I, I, didn't accept, I didn't take any ownership for my own wrongdoings. It was always, oh, someone else's fault. This right. is the reason, that's the reason. Uh, yeah. So that rubbed off a lot on my parents and my siblings. So I got kicked out for six months. Where'd you go? Uh, honestly, I went. To, I stayed at my friend's house. At the time, I had um, two guys, two twins, and they were my, my best friends. They attended my high school and lived there for a long, quite, it felt like a long period of time. But that was the best period of my life. Why? Because that's the time where I actually found out, okay, this is what it takes to be independent. You said you do this, you do this, you do this. You feel like you live this type of way. You feel like you want to be away from your parents. Your parents feel like you want to be an adult. So you do it and you go and experience it. And I experienced it. The highs, the lows, the times where you can go to bed as late as you want within reason. But there's also other times where there's no dinner on the table and there's no one there to provide for you. Because although you're staying at their house, yes, but their parents don't have to provide for you because you're not their child. So there's times where there isn't enough food. There's times where there isn't food at all because the parents working, etc., etc. So you have to fend for yourself. Whereas the the house where I come from, I've got three other siblings, so dinner was always a guarantee. 
So that tran- that that transition was really. How old were you at that point? When you got I was fifteen, you were fifteen. Fifteen at that point, yeah. yeah. So I would say it was really challenging, but really eye-opening because I then found for myself that hey, of course I don't have a house for myself, but I can actually look after myself. So you were really building that resilience in 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 those moments. I'm I'm wondering when you when you refer to the low points, how low it got. Because I certainly uh, can relate to having some, you know, rock bottoms or complete crashes where you've got to get so low in order to begin to open your eyes and go, hey, this is how I've got to move forward one step at a time because the alternative is too horrific, you know? Definitely, I mean, definitely. How dark did it get for you? At the age of 15, I would, honestly, I wouldn't say it got very dark because I would, I would, the reason why I would say that is because at that point, I was, I, I literally looked the other direction as to positivity. I was just focused on myself. I was focused on whatever I was doing. Hey, yes, I'm going to Peru. I'm not enjoying Peru, but I'm going to still attend. I'm on the roads. I'm doing what I want with my friends when I want, and I'm not being told when not to do it. So it's sort of a wake-up call for you. So it's definitely a wake-up call. It's definitely a wake-up call. But my wake-up call kicked in a couple years afterwards. Okay. Because I've when I held my two talks... I always refer to my biggest low points in my life. I call them my triple hurdles. Yeah. And my first hurdle was at the age of 18 when my stepfather got, prison, got um, sent to prison for 30 years. Yesterday, it was a Sunday evening. Everyone, my dad is a huge Man United fan, hence why I'm a huge Man United fan. And it was Man United versus Man City. It's a big derby game. And I remember coming in from football it was half time and seeing my dad on the sofa watching football. I asked him to score. He told me to score. I said, yeah, dad, I'm going out and I'm coming back soon. And let's say that's around 4.30. And then I get five missed calls at 8.30. And I'm wondering to myself, hey, I know my mum calls me. I know my mum needs me at certain times. And of course, parents call their children. Yeah. But five missed calls? Sure. That means that something must be up. Something's wrong. So I've called my mum now and she's told me to come home immediately. Something's happened. Something's happened. And at the time, she hasn't told me what exactly has happened. So I brought all my friends back with me. <laughs> so I'm in, a, I'm in a group of six or seven. Yeah. And as we get to my house, I see two police officers at the door. I see police officers at the top of my stairs. I see police officers walking around my house. And I see my siblings and my mother breaking down. So immediately at the time, I'm looking around like, what do I do? Because I've got my friends with me. And I've also got my mom here breaking down. So what's my next step? Then I froze, and the police officer explained what happened. My mum has explained what's happened and told me that my dad has been sent to the station. And I'm asking what for? And he said, on something to do with a, a, something about suspicion or attempted murder or something along the lines. I said, no way. At that point, my heart really dropped because I haven't seen my mum break down like that or similar to that since my school meeting, which was at that time three years prior to that. Right, yeah. Prior to that moment. Yep. And I felt like at that time, her heart broke even more because, hey, yes, your child gives trouble, but this is your partner, this is your husband of 13, 14 years. So I can see that now I have to step up and I can't be as selfish as I was before. Right. At the age of 18, it really woke me up because I've now had to step up. I've now had to be a guardian for my three other siblings. I've now had to be more of a support and so, person and for so dad's my parents. And dad's been sent away from that point. Yeah, yeah, and dad's been sent away from that point. 
So it was really me looking up, taking my head out of the water and really smelling the coffee and acknowledging the fact that, hey, Mike, you can be selfish all you want. You can be ignorant all you want. But until you open your eyes and realize that it's just not about you and there's a bigger purpose than you, that's the only way you're going to move forward. And that was one of my first hurdles. And then moving on, I thought from, from that point, I steadily started to improve my behavior. At that point, I'm going, I'm in college. I'm debating whether so I want to attend Peru, uni. Because you're older enough. You're older now. Yeah, and you're left, going to college. Left, left Peru now. Yeah. Left Peru, gone to college now. I'm studying sports science. Yeah. And I'm at, the, I'm at the stage where I'm deciding whether I want to finish college, go to work, or finish college and go to university. But like I said prior, early in this, sorry, in the conversation, that education wasn't my, my calling. Sure, so right. I decided to build. I wanted to build a business. Yeah, I had no experience building a business. Huh? I I remember looking back at high school that there were lots of kids that were entrepreneurs. As a matter of fact, they were always selling chocolate or selling fizzy drinks when yeah. it wasn't allowed. I never had that sort of drive. I never had that mindset. Yeah. I was always the kid that was playing football. Yeah, <laughs> rather than selling. So, at the time where I decided to build a business, the idea, as a matter of fact, came from my little brother. Cause my, now my little brother is now 13 years old. Yeah. So when I came out with the idea, he was 10, turning 11. He was in high, year six. Sure. And my little brother is nothing like myself or my father in, and in regards to sports. He doesn't like sports, doesn't watch it, doesn't play it. Yeah. And then there was one time where he bought this slip home from school and he was like, yeah, mom, I want to attend basketball club. So mom was like, sure, go to basketball. And it was going on for six weeks. Every Monday, he would come in an hour later than the usual time because of, because of the club. Comes to the seventh week now, and he's coming early. And I'm like, Shaq, what's happened? Why, why are you not at the club? And he's like, oh, there's no more club anymore. And he went from being that excited child that's come out of his shell yeah. to immediately crouching his back and going immediately back into his shell. Sure. So at that point, it was like, hey, Mike, you want to build a business. You don't know actually what you want to do. Why don't you build something that can cater to kids like your brother. So I built a sports organization. It was, it's an after-school club, but with the after-school club, I also added my own USP point, which was half-time competitions. Okay. When I mean by half-time competi- half competitions is I work in primary schools. So I know that at the end of each term or each half-term, every class usually has a celebration for breaking up. So you have your food, your snacks, your music, and you watch a movie. Yeah. I decided that rather than doing that on the Friday, if your child attends an after-school club, then that same Friday there will be a competition held for the six or seven weeks that you've been attending the club. And the people I'm meeting, I've been networking, I'm meeting um, directors, I'm meeting lectures of, sorry, um, tutors, sorry, of universities, I'm meeting directors of universities, you know, I'm, I'm meeting different people out of the hat. And all I'm getting is the same response, which is, good feedback positive feedback of course there's always criticism but it's positive criticism yeah and long story short of course and long story short the message is yeah it's a good idea Mike push forward yeah and at the time me being 19 being very naive to the business side of the world it was okay so if everyone's saying it's a good idea then surely it must kick off yeah so I had this positive energy at this, you know, I'm always walking around with a smile on my face at this point because I'm saying, hey, I figured out what I want to do. I figured out who I'm meant to be. So let me push forward. There's and nothing there's, like having purpose, right? 
Nothing like having purpose. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. Doesn't, there's nothing else more fulfilling, nothing else more warming in your heart, knowing that you have a vision yeah. set for yourself. And at the time, I thought that was my vision. And I went from knocking at school doors every day, literally, before I'm going to work, if I start work at 12.30, then I know for the next two or three hours in the morning from 8.30 to 11.30, I'm knocking on school doors. I'm calling, I'm emailing, et cetera, et cetera. I'm getting feedback. And all the feedback was is, oh, yeah, Michael, it's a good idea. Yeah, we'll consider it. Yeah, we'll get back to you, et cetera, et cetera, which never happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never, ever felt, I never, ever dealt with rejection in my life at all. Ooh. Yeah. So what was that like? At that point, it was really crushing because, hey, when I, when I was playing, when I was playing sports during my teenage years, I got into every team I wanted to get into. Okay. If I was in, if I was in school, if I wanted to concentrate, I was able to concentrate. I was just really able to do anything that I really wanted. Yeah. So if you rejection was very it. new to me. Absolutely. So rejection was very new to me. And 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 hard work. Hard and hard work. work. Like bloody Most hard definitely. work, right? Most definitely. Yeah. At that point, it was, I'm receiving rejection. Who do I turn to now? Because my mum is here, but she's building her own, her own business. So she hasn't got the time to, hey, Mike, consolidate with me and be the person that always has the arm over my shoulder. And your dad's out of the picture. And my dad's out of the picture. And, Who and I turn to now? And I imagine you had to step up a little bit as well as far as your siblings and, and that you Absolutely. moved back home and were supporting everyone. Absolutely. I went from being a casual brother to then attending school meetings, picking up, drop, drops off, um, doctor meetings, dentists, etc., yeah. etc. Et you name it, I yeah. have become the father with mum's not here hey homework's on the table make sure you do the homework i'll mark your homework for you yeah double check it before you get sent in i really had to step up because i realized at that point that there is a bigger purpose it's not just about me Huge. i have to help others yeah and and just um for the like the theme of this podcast around adversity that's really highlighting that sometimes it is the adversity that pushes us to, to be the person we're really meant to be in the world Absolutely. I believe, I strongly believe in recycling your pain. Mm, Oh, yeah. Strongly believe in recycling your pain because there's a a lot of people that I know, there's a lot of people that I've come across where they talk about their past and you can still see within them that they're still holding on to it. Yeah. And holding on to it makes you bitter. Yeah. Holding on to it, you're not allowing yourself to be open to express yourself and to let it go, let the shackles off your feet. You're still holding it within. And I found within myself that the best way for me to get rid of everything is just to recycle it. For me to turn the negative into a positive. For me to change my perspective. Because once you change your perspective on something, it changes your whole mood. Completely. Who Now, so, I'm, like, this is an amazing transition, and it's almost sa- sounding like an overnight journey. But, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. I realize it never actually is, right? It can yeah, sound yeah. like an overnight journey, but actually it's fucking hard work uh, building Absolutely. up to that. Did you have any, any sort of role models or influences or, or, or like that one person who said the right thing about perspective or about stepping up? I don't know. Or was it literally the circumstance of dad going to prison that we were like, fuck, I've got to step up? It was, I would say it was 50-50. Okay. Definitely 50-50. There was a lot of, oh my God, I realized that now yeah. life has taken a mad turn. So I have to step up now because if I don't, yeah. then things are just going to get worse for myself and for my family. Yeah. But also on the plus side, my father, prior to him getting sentenced, he was studying to be a life coach. 
Was he? Now, my father, he's, he's sentenced, is my stepfather. Yeah. So through the first, I would say, he met my mum when I was four years old. So, of course, he's entered my life and he's provided for me, but we never had a strong relationship. I more had a strong relationship with my biological father. Who was in, your, in to, your life? He was also in my life, yeah. He was also in my life. But then I got to the point where I was 14, 15, and I got kicked out. I got kicked out of school and sent to Peru. And I never mentioned it before. I was meant to, but... But my, my father broke down, my stepfather broke down at that point, literally flooded with tears and emotions and felt so disappointed in himself, his words, that he felt so disappointed with himself that he's let me down. Wow. And at that point, it was like, my, my biological father doesn't react like this. My mother's fuming, but she doesn't react like this. And you're a person that's come outside of, of my family and stepped into this family, made your own family, because we're now one. And you're expressing the love and the compassion that you have for me that I never thought you had. Wow. So from that point, we, was, we started to build a stronger relationship. If I have a football match on Saturday or Sunday, he would have come and attend if he, if, um, when he can. When there's times when I'm low, when there's times when we need to have a father and son talk, when there's times when I need to be motivated, it was, it was always him. Wow. And I never realized how impactful it was up until the point where he got sentenced. Until later, yeah. Until later, because we went from having physical dialogue yeah. to then writing letters, and writing the letters is not the same. Or we went from having physical dialogue to having a 10-minute 10, 10 um, conversation over the phone, and throughout, throughout those 10 minutes, you have to share the phone with five other family members. Yeah. So th- it, was, it was very difficult at that point, but I never fully appreciated his messages up until the point where I decided that I wanted to do motivational speaking. I wanted to inspire people. Isn't it interesting how we don't realize the seeds that are being planted either by us as, as, as inspirational speakers or whatever that might be, key, uh, mentors, key workers, whatever, um, but equally the seeds that are planted that we can only re- really recognize in hindsight? Absolutely. 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 Because it took me to find the fact that the sports organization business that I built wasn't kicking off up until that point where my head was fully down, where I felt like I was battling with depression because, hey, I'm not, I'm not in university. Yeah. I haven't got a job. I have got a job, sorry, but the job is part-time. I know it, there's no longevity in it. I know that this is not something I want to pursue long-term. And this business hasn't kicked off. So where do I go? My head is down. And I was speaking to one of my closest friends at the time, and he can see what I'm battling with because I've got no one to really turn to. I've got so much questions and no one's able to give me an answer no one's able to give me an idea and he was like Mike listen to this audio tape mm-hmm. it's, a motiv- it's a motivational speaker mm-hmm. and I was like at the time looking back at it now it was quite silly because motivational speaking is self-explanatory <laughs> but at that time when he, when he showed me the audio tape I was like what's this what, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> yeah what are you talking about and then he was like when I was playing football this, is, this was my engine this kept me going day in day out when times are low and times are high. So you're like so introduced just, to like the concept of the mindset and how we've yes, got to train absolutely. our brain in order to train our, our bodies and everything else. Okay, cool. Absolutely. So I said, okay, cool. Played the tape now. And within the first two minutes, he played a motivational speaker uh, by the names of Eric Thomas. I'm sure you must be aware of it. Might, maybe, may not be. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, because you know Eric Thomas, you see how energetic he is. Yeah. And how empowering he is. So the first two minutes of that audio tape, I was completely blown away, like blown out of the water. And one of the main reasons was because a lot of the things that he was saying at the time took me back to the conversations that me and my father were having or once had. 
So it was like, wow, this is what my dad was training to do. Yeah, this is real. This, this is real. This is the message that I'm hearing through this man that was once coming out of my father's mouth. And at that point, I started to study it. I started to focus more and I started to listen to it. Day in, day out, I'm listening to audio tapes. Day in, day out. And then I decided with myself that looking back and researching and dissecting how the speakers structure their talks about their life experiences, about their ups and downs, and, how, and, and aiming to inspire the public, I looked at myself and I said to myself, hey, my family's going through this. I've gone through this. There's so much people within my environment that are going through their own struggles. But who are you looking up to? Who's that person with the positive message? Who's that person on your shoulder that's telling you to keep going? Because I believe everyone's seen a movie with the analogy where you have the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. Sure. But with the angel, the dialogue needs to be loud. It needs to be clear because you have the devil on one shoulder on your right-hand side, for example, that's screaming into your on volume 10. And you have your angel... Um, on your left shoulder that's screaming into your ear at volume six so you always it's easier to to listen to the devil it's easier to listen to the negativity yes. it's easier to follow the trends that are within your eyesight whereas I felt at that time after listening to all these audio tapes that hey you're inspiring thousands millions of people um, physically online etc etc but at the same time there's lots of people where I come from you don't even know what motivational speaking is. Not at all. And I like the, the way you said the thing about the, the volume, because yeah. sometimes people are like, how do I stop the negativity? And, oh, my God, I still have negativity. I'm a loser or whatever. But actually, all it is is about readjusting the volume. So training your brain, volume. right, to turn the, the negativity volume down a notch or whatever and training yourself, focusing on turning the other, the positivity sort of up. And it's just, Absolutely. right? It's just a really good Absolutely. way of going, oh, hey, let me, let me self-assess. The negativity volume is a little bit high. What do I need to do in my life to, to redress the balance and to put the, the volume of positivity up? Absolutely. I was having a conversation with my friend the other day on this exact topic where she, she asked me, um, like, for example, what, what, what should I say to um, my uncle? And I said, to, I said to her, what do you think you should say firstly? Because there's no point me giving you an answer if you're not telling me how you feel, if anything, if you want my help, we have to help one another. Yeah. If not, you're not learning from it. So having this conversation and I'm giving her my, my perspective. And she's like, Hey, what you just said is on my left hand side of my brain, literally. Hmm. And I've said, if it's on your left hand side, why are you not focusing on it? Yeah. And she was like, Oh, because my right hand side is louder than my left hand side. And I was like, but it's on your left. So therefore, you know, that yeah. it's right. Therefore, you know, that it's there. You're just, cho- you're just choosing not to tune that side that's it I like how you brought up choice and she looked at me and she smiled and she said it's true but it's hard I said it's only as hard as you make it because we've built systematically in our head we've built that we've built the fear that oh my god if I want to do something that I believe is right that my intuition is telling me is right of course it's going to be harder which nine times out of ten it may be but it will be hard for that second for that minute for that hour yeah but you know after that that weight is no longer on your shoulders anymore yeah. because you feel that within you, you've done the right thing. But the easier option is to listen to the right-hand side of the brain and say to myself, hey, I know what to do, but because of this reason or because of that reason, I don't want to do it, so I'm just going to sit back and deal with it how I usually deal with it, where 
then therefore there is no growth and there is no development personally. Absolutely. Makes total sense. Um, you know, you said when you, when you go to, to talks, you talk about the three things that have impacted yeah. your life. What was the third one? So I didn't, I barely touched on the second one. Okay. My, the second one was my, my younger brother has now tri- finished primary school yeah. and now entered high school. Yeah. And like I said, my, the high school that we all attended, because we all attended the same high school, yeah. is in the center of like a gang related area. So my brother, three months into attending high school, like children usually do after school, they go to a chicken and chip shop. They find somewhere to go with their friends before they come home. My brother goes to McDonald's in this area. And every time he's going to McDonald's, which I found out later, he's being approached by guys from the area asking him and his friends, where are they from? What are they doing around here? And they're not allowed to be around here, et cetera, et cetera. It's been go- it went on for four to five weeks consistently and at the time he never told anyone I never knew what was going up going on up until one day where he was sent to school and they found a weapon in his bag and a weapon in any school is a straight dismissal yeah and he was three months in to year seven three months in year to seven. high school and and he's been been sent straight to Prue the same Prue no, I went to approve for year 10 and year 11 oh, students. He went to one for year 7 to year 9. Yeah. And he'd be sent to approve. But it's literally, it was a 10-minute walk from the one I got sent to. Yeah. So so that was the second hurdle that made me realize that, hey, yeah, Mike, you're trying to do this. You're trying to build this. But your brother is going through a lot of trouble right now. Your brother needs the support. So this is even more of a reason for you not to be selfish. This is even more of a reason for you not to turn your back. Because what's more important than family? Yeah. So, at that point, he gets, he's got sent to a pupil referral unit. He's got he's got he's got it on his school record that he carried a weapon, and he's making and he's starting to make his own decisions because he feels now that hey, he's been sent to prove there's no more school. Yeah. What's the next step? What's the he point? He doesn't know the next step. What's the point? Yeah. What's, What's the, the point? point? So his attitude starts to derail, and he's just literally his physical body's there at prove, but his men- mentally he's not there. Yeah. So I had to I had to find a way to talk to him, to support him, to make him feel loved, to make him feel like, hey, you can do this. You can push forward. That even though you've fallen down this time, you will get back up and you will succeed in whatever you want to do. So that was a real, real eye opener for me because I like everyone knows, I got kicked out of school, but it was for a completely different reason to me finding out that, that my brother was carried a weapon due to self-defense. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to, I've got to feel for him in, in, yeah. in that situation that he just feels stuck. And, you know, how do I protect myself? Where, where's my place? Absolutely. So that, that, was, that was my second hurdle. And then my final hurdle yeah. was, I would say I was at the age of 18. Now, as you can tell, my life hasn't exactly been positive. So there were times, especially from the ages of 16 to 18, that I've now entered college. I've now got a different social group. I'm now making more independent decisions and spending my time doing things that I wasn't usually doing and meeting the wrong people. So I've gone from being a teenager that loves and enjoys and plays football to now being on the road with guys, selling drugs, doing this, doing that. And there was one particular night it was me and two of my other friends and we've gone 
to meet someone for an exchange. And as we've gone to meet someone, we've been cornered by another vehicle. So we, and another vehicle has now pulled up to where, where we are, where the scene is at. And, and guys have jumped out of the car and basically cornered us, cornered us against the wall. I think this is about 11.30 in the night. There's about six or seven guys against me and my two other friends with weapons. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that time, when you're facing death in the face, you don't know what to do. Of course. So you're trying to make sure that you're responding, but you're also trying to make sure that you're responding but not too sar- sarcastically because you can never know. You never know what could happen, yeah. especially at that particular time. Yeah. And as, we, as, we, as that's happening, sorry, the exchange is taking place. And instead of transferring what we were selling for the money they've taken what we had and they've also taken their money and I, I remember when I came home because I, I don't care about what we had at the time nor do I care about the money it was just the fact that I never expected that to happen and so it's, it's, it's very naive so close to danger yeah so, so close to danger but it's very naive of me because I know the world that I live in I know the environment that I come from I know the environment that I was upraised in right and I know what I'm doing with myself which is what a lot of other people are doing with themselves at that particular time so I know what the consequences, but I just never felt at the time that I would ever be in that position. Yeah, because it's also so normalized if of everyone's course. sort of doing it in your world that you just, you know, you, th- you think you'll be the exception. Absolutely. So when, so when that took place and I'm literally standing there about to jump back in my car, I said to myself that I can never do this again. This is not for me. This is not my calling. I cannot be on the verge of losing my life for this. Right. How much is this worth? in comparison to how much is my life really worth. Yeah. If I wasn't able to make it home that night and my mother found out the reason why, how disappointed would she be? Right. There were so much questions. So those are my three hurdles that made me wake up and say to myself, hey, that's happened, so you need to change. You need to do the 360. You need to wake up because, you need, of course, you need to love and support your family, but ultimately you need to take care of number one. And what does number one want? What does number one want to do? Because at that time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. At the time, it was, it was more following the trend, social groups, being part of a group, and feeling connected. Whereas now, you look back at it, and I say to myself, hey, Mike, what's your vision? What's your plan? What's your idea? Because there were so many people that went to school that are the same age as me, that are doing so well in their lives. And, and I told... and within myself, I look back and it's not, I don't want to go across as if I'm comparing all the time because I'm not comparing, but it's the fact that I know within myself that I was, I could have been able and I should have been making better decisions at a younger age to therefore push myself to the furthest point where I could go rather than me being in the position I am now and looking back and saying to myself that I actually started to take life serious at the age of 19, 20. Or I should have been taking life serious at the age of 14, 15, maybe. But and it, it sounds like what it, I want to do. Yeah, in a way, it sounds like you almost had to go through these things in order to embed this knowledge and be able to do the thing that's purposeful in your in your life now. I mean, absolutely. What, absolutely. What advice would you give to your 14 year old self or a, or a kid who, like you or your brother, is you know has has gone to Peru and that has that disappointment, has, has got, um, you know, gangs around, you know, that, that sort of lifestyle and is in yeah. that sort of lifestyle. I mean, now that you've got this wisdom and hindsight, like what advice would you give to that person? That's not the end. That's, that's definitely not the end. And that you do not have to be a product of your environment. 
there are hardly any role models where we come from. There's hardly there's hardly any role models that we're able to acknowledge that are not in certain industries. And what I mean by not in certain industries are the industries other than uh, music and being an athlete. Because looking back at myself and looking back and looking around the people that I know, you're always looking up to the person that made it out of this area that's now a footballer or the person that is from this area that's now a rapper. But what about the person that's from this area that now is a lawyer, that, that's now a doctor, that's now a pediatrician, that's now doing this, that's now doing that? There's so much different opportunities in life, but we're not fully exposed to that. So when you're going through a dark stage in your life, especially at that stage where you feel like there is no support, it's hard for you to look up. It's hard for you to keep your head above the water because you don't know where the shore is. You don't know where you're going. You're just floating. And you haven't got any guidance or, or somebody got, like you haven't got shining any guidance. a light. Yeah. So it's definitely trying to keep your head up and believing yourself. But before believing yourself, you have to find out who you are, what you like, and accept your struggles rather than running away from it. Ooh, that's a hard one. That took me about 10 years. <laughs> very hard, very hard, very hard. Everyone goes through their own process at their own speed. But the more you engage with yourself, the more you look within yourself, the more you, the more you learn to love yourself, the more you learn to learn and develop different things about yourself, is the better you'll be long-term. And the better you'll feel long-term. So um, what does the future hold for you? I'm still pushing my speaking. I've still got a lot to learn. I'm only, I've only just turned 21. I only decided that I wanted to be a speaker last year. And last year was a tremendous year for me. I never expected to speak in two schools. I never expected to be on the radio. I never expected to meet some people that I have met. So now it's literally about just keeping that momentum, pushing that momentum, meeting new people, gaining more experience, gaining more knowledge because I know, based on the motivational speakers that I watch and listen to, that they've been in this game for over 10, 15 years. And that this is, this is only year one for me. And that it takes patience, it takes perseverance, it takes courage, but you will get there if you are persistent and if you truly believe in your vision. So right now it's all about, like I said, it's literally gaining more knowledge and keeping that momentum going. Amazing, amazing. Definitely. Um, Mike, thank you so much for your openness and your time. The story brings me right back to, to my own story and also to the early days of, of working with this uh, demographic. Um, so, so exciting to see what you're doing. If there's anything I can ever do to help you, please do let me know. Um, Absolutely. If people want to uh, find you or book you for speaking or get in touch, where can they find you on, on social media or, or how can they link up? You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I am on my LinkedIn account is Mike Cooper. You can find me on Instagram, Mike underscore Cooper 17. I have a YouTube channel. My YouTube channel name is Authentic Mike C. And also on my YouTube channel, you would get all the information of all my social platforms where I am available. Amazing. We'll, we'll add all of that into the, the podcast notes afterwards. Um, uh, Mike, until then, thank you so much for, for your time and I'm wishing you all the best. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on as that's the first step to making life amazing. 
check out my website, petravelsboer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.